Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. now listening to build your network yo my name is yaya bakar i'm a family man speaking coach and online business consultant hey this is trent shelton author of the greatest you hey this is brian casella if you want to become a professional connector if you want to learn how to level up in life and if you want to build a brand like i have then you should be listening to build your network to the build your network podcast build your network with my good friend travis chapel come on baby Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chapel, and this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey there, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today's Wednesday, which means it is a topic episode. For those of you who are brand new to the show, every Wednesday we release a topic-based episode. So this episode is... Uh, basically one topic that we've chosen and we've gone back into the archive of previous guest episodes and then we take uh, bits and pieces of what some of those conversations are with some of these people and we put them into one bite-sized digestible piece of content for you. So uh, today's topic is all about public speaking and we have three of some of the best speakers that I know uh, on the show today talking about that. So we have Trent Shelton, Brian Casella, and Yaya Bakar. Uh, Trent is just taken the uh, social media world by storm in these last few years. He's an ex-NFL player turned motivational speaker, and uh, he he has just amassed this following of millions and millions of people online and uh, really through Facebook and Instagram. And uh, 
um, the guy just releases steady, consistent content, and he's always, always, always on point, has a huge, huge and, and engaged following and crushes it on stage as well. And then we have Brian Casella. Um, Brian is a multi-million dollar real estate agent down in the LA area um, in Southern California, and he talks about how leveraging stages helped him build more credibility in his business by getting on stage with some of the guys from uh, million dollar listings and different things like that. So Brian talks a lot about about how stages can help increase your credibility. And then we have Yaya Bakar, who is a professional speaker. He's been speaking on the speaking circuit for, I mean, uh, a decade plus. Um, He's been just absolutely crushing it. This is one of the guys that when he comes on stage, you can tell instantly that he's a speaker. Some people may have a lot of knowledge. They may have expertise in certain topics, uh, but maybe they're just not good speakers. Yaya, every time he gets on stage, he commands the audience. He brings the heat. He keeps up the the energy and... uh, um, a man, just a, just an amazing speaker, very captivating speaker. So Trent Shelton, Brian Casella, Yaya, Bakar, all talking about taking the stage. Uh, but first, really quickly, I'm really excited to announce the launching of my new mastermind, uh, the BYN Inner Circle. So the Build Your Network Inner Circle. For the, so for those of you who listen to the podcast, you're obviously here because you want to learn more about networking. You want to become a better networker. You want to connect with people in a better way. So what we did is we actually ended up creating this secondary group because my primary group, the Cool People, Cool Places Mastermind group, is uh, is in that five-figure range in terms of a, a financial investment. So what I wanted to do was kind of create another mastermind that basically is kind of a bridging the gap type of a mastermind. So this one is only going to be $150 a month, okay? But for those of you who get in first, the first 25 people who jump in are going to get it at $79 a month locked in, okay? So $79 bucks a month, that is it. Uh, we have have uh, course material that's that you get as a part of it that teaches you how to network better communication and, and body language and tonality and uh, things like that but then we also have monthly live calls and then we have uh, small group uh, accountability uh, groups and then we have um, uh, monthly live trainings and th- there's just so many different pieces that go on to that we give you access to past um, networking and expert calls from previous masterminds that I've ran. So uh, this is this is the highest quality low investment group that I have seen put together. So um, you're definitely going to want to take advantage of that. And especially if you're a listener of the show and you just want to get more of this networking-based content, um, then you're definitely going to want to go check that out. That's at byninnercircle.com. B-Y-N for Build Your Network, Inner Circle. Dot com. You can go check it out, and uh, hopefully you will be one of the first 25 to join. It launched today, so um, the, the odds of you being the first 25 is better if you do it today uh, rather than waiting until tomorrow or sometime next week because those first 25 spots should fill up pretty quickly from members of my last mastermind and from members of the Facebook group and all that good stuff. So byninnercircle.com. All right, that is it. Now on to the episode, Taking the Stage with Trent Shelton. Brian Casella and Yaya Picar. Once I started speaking, because, you know, I started making videos, I was, say, rehabish. I was doing, you know, some motivational stuff and then some just random stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, when I got really clear about, like, this is what I was created to do was me speaking on the stage to kids. And it was like, I don't know, three or five thousand kids seemed like 50,000. And um, I was just telling my it was five minutes. I didn't want to do it. I wasn't a speaker. I was telling myself all these things. And yeah. Got on stage, my friend Jonathan Evans, you know, pretty much forced me on there, talked me into it. 
And he's like, man, it's something that's different. Yeah, yeah, very different. I thank him to this day. And that's actually, I mean, the event tomorrow is with him. So, oh, cool. Um, it's funny because the event tomorrow is actually on the same stage. But I'm telling the story now, so oh, it's like really? a full circle awesome. thing. So, um, I get on there and then I speak for five minutes and make a long story short. I realized like this is what I was created to do. Like I forgot everything I prepared the night before. So literally, it was just me on stage sharing my heart for five minutes. And those yeah. kids, I mean, if you ever talked in front of kids, that's like the hardest audience ever oh, to yeah. talk in front of. And they were locked in. Yeah. And so I was like. This is like, it's something bigger here. I don't know what it is, but I know it's not football. And I was still trying to hang on to football. I was still trying to play arena lead, all these things. And so I completely let go of football in that moment. And I said, you know, I'm dedicating my life to go down this path. So rehab time was kind of the start of all of that. Yep. Right. What was your thought process in getting that started? And what was the medium that you were choosing to go through? Yeah. So my whole thought process was, it all starts with you. So it was, the thought process was, I have to believe it. I have to live it, breathe it, be it. So it was the work that I had to do on myself. I always say the most important work is the work you do offline, the work you do on yourself. Because when you really live it, I believe it becomes contagious and you can walk in confidence. You can walk with belief. Your input becomes your out. There you go. There you go. And so uh, it started with me doing that. And then it started with me picking up my phone. Right. So I was like, I wasn't getting once I realized, okay, I'm a speaker. Right. And so I'm an author or whatever. I wasn't getting booked to speak or even not even booked. I wasn't even getting invited to speak, you know? So I'm like, what do I do? So back to networking, I reached out to people that I knew, some coaches. I'm like, I'm a football player. I know some teachers. Went back to my old high school, went back to elementary schools. Like, hey, I'll just share my story. I use the NFL thing to get in there. Mm -hmm. And I just started speaking for free as much as I could. And in that process, I was like, how can I reach more people. So yeah. it was like social media. So I picked up my phone, iPhone, didn't have a camera set up besides that. And I just started making two minute videos. Yeah. And that's what started, you know, what people see today. Yeah. You talk a lot about the value of consistency and especially in terms of creating content. I know a lot yeah. of people follow my, follow my show are also, you know, trying to get started with podcasts and, you know, YouTube channels and all these different content creation platforms and things. And I find that the number one killer of any of that is lack of consistency. Big time. What would you say? Big time. Consistency means you're reliable. And when you're reliable, you become trustworthy. Mm. And I tell people all the time, the reason that I get to do interviews like this, the reason I get to speak on stages, the reason people watch my videos, yes, it's because of the content, but it's more because of the consistency. I wanted to be a category king for self-worth. I want people thought of self-worth. I want to think of rehab time of myself. And so I decided to dedicate my mission to self-worth content. And also with consistency, it's like even this as far as like with social media, when you're consistent, you become shareable. And I realized that because in order to beat the boogeyman, the algorithm, you yeah. have to become shareable, right? Shareable right. content. Right. So I asked the lady, I posted a video on Facebook and it was a five minute video. And the lady, it was like a whole bunch of people who shared it, right? And I'm like, it's been a minute and they already shared it. It's no way they watched the whole video. Mm-hmm. So at first I kind of like, I didn't watch the whole video. <laughs> and I thought I was like, that's crazy. And so I hit up, it was a lady. I hit up, I said like, why did you share this without watching the whole video? And she said, Trent, and it changed my mindset forever for consistency. She said, Trent, You've been so consistent for years. I already know that the message is going to help somebody. And I want to be one of the first people to share it. And so (laughs) I have tons of people who do that. They literally will share it as soon as they see it. And then, you know, they'll watch it later. Right. That's the name of the game. Like so wholeheartedly believe that because a lot in in a world where these one-off people become like famous overnight with this viral video and everybody's going for that one, you know? So they create three videos and then they upload them and none of them go viral. And they're like, well, that doesn't work now. You know, like it's impossible. It's like, no, no, no. Their intention is wrong. There you go. Their intention is wrong. And it's funny when people ask me about that. And and one of the things I talk about is consistency. They ask me like, say, here's the major hack. And I tell them like, you just gotta be consistent. Like I've been doing this for 10 years. 
and they it's like they get deflated. They're like, oh, like it's not it's no secret. I don't want to be consistent. You know, I'm just like, that's how you do it. Yeah. You you literally have to just I mean, as simple as that sounds, just be consistent over time. And when you're consistent, growth has to take place. Yes, yes, exactly. And again, and bringing back what you said earlier too, the the input thing, you have the consistency. But then what happens when you're consistent is you bump up your quality. Right? There you go. So like, that's what my whole mantra is like consistent quality content with context. You put consistent quality content in front of the right audience, like something will happen. That's right. I don't know how long it'll take and I don't know how big it'll get, but I promise you something will happen. But if you're missing any of those three things, if it's in front of the wrong people and you're not consistent or the, the quality is poor, like you can be consistent as hell. Yeah, like, even poor, yeah. If it's not good, like it's not good. That's true. But the bottom line is when you are consistent, your quality is going to start getting better and better. Repetition. Yeah, sure. And then all those inputs that you're doing, like you were saying, like now I started reading books. Like I started listening to audiobooks. I started attending, you know, events and listening to speakers and downloading podcasts and all those different things. And then when you start consuming all of that, you can't help but like put it back out there. My biggest sale when I was brand new was for people who are in the area, they might know. There's an area in Diamond Bar called The Country, which is a gated community. Snoop Dogg has a house there. It's one of his houses, and his son went to the high school, Diamond Bar High School. I actually sold a property in there from a client who I picked up, a lawyer. I'd sold another one of his properties, and then I ended up selling that one about six months or eight months later. Now, I met him actually through... Toastmasters, which is a group that people don't know about, most people don't know about, to work on their public speaking. So my whole thing was when I'm new, I'm going to go to a lot of the realtor events and that kind of stuff just to get to put my face out there. After a while, what I'm going to start doing is I'm not only going to network at those places, I'm going to network at places that one, are interest to me, like cars and that kind of stuff. Like I go to all the exotic car shows and that kind of stuff and I've met a ton of people at that. But I'm also going to go to places that are purposeful. I knew that working on my communication skills would put me above the rest. What better way to do it than Toastmasters where they throw you up on the stage and say, hey, let's talk. Yeah. Ended up meeting him through there and because we both mutually met at the same place, the relationship was a lot easier. We started talking and within I think three or four weeks, we exchanged cell phone numbers and we just kept talking and then a month later, boom, he gives me the first house and then six months later the next house and he himself has already referred four other clients in the last two years who wow. I probably made well over $100,000 selling the properties. Wow, that's incredible, man. So yeah. besides Toastmasters, is there a place that you found either online or in person? So that, you know, Facebook groups or whatever, or like a specific event or a location to go do work. Is there somewhere that you go when you are really trying to expand your network, build relationships with people? For me, yes, because this one I love, I can network and it's one of my passions, cars. If I could pick one show, Lamborghini Newport Beach has a show every Saturday, the first Saturday of every month. I've met senators there who've approached me because of my car. I've probably sold four houses in the last year with people I've met there. Oh. And my thought process was, I like cars. I'm in that club anyway. What better way to go than to meet some high-ticket individuals who most of them are millionaires and multimillionaires and who also might mentor me and help me with some good knowledge and wisdom? And I've made so many great relationships there. I've gone on yachts in Newport Coast. Yeah. I've been in mega mansions in Laguna Beach that are worth, you know, 15, 20 million. All of people that I met at a mutual thing. So that would be my piece of advice to people is don't look at networking as like, oh, I have to work and, you know, right. go to places that you actually enjoy going to or groups that you would actually have some passion for or interest in. And then from there, networking becomes a lot easier yeah. and then you can step into some of the other stuff. But Really, man, my interests, like Toastmasters and the exotic car shows for me, have brought in more relationships and clients than 
I could even count on two or three hands, man. Wow. What about with speaking and stuff? I know you said you were just recently speaking on stage with Josh Altman, which if you're listening right now and you're not in real estate, you may not know the name. If you are in real estate, you 100% know the name. How did that whole thing come about? Well, apparently me and Josh, and I just, I don't know if you saw, I shared a picture with him on Instagram from September of 2013, dude. I was was like a month in the business. They hosted an event, him and his brother. I went and got a picture with them. And I remember saying at that event, I'm going to share the stage with these guys within a couple of years. Watch me. I didn't tell people. I just made my own little internal conversation. Yeah. So, you know, you fast forward to now, a mutual friend of ours, Glenn Twiddle, who's like the number two real estate coach in Australia, I guess randomly bumped into me on Facebook or YouTube. I can't remember. And he was like, hey, man, I've been watching your stuff. I love it. I'm going to host an event over here in June in Southern California. I'm thinking about putting you, Josh, who's a friend of mine, and some other guys. Are you in? I said, absolutely. That's how the event came. I went, spoke there. I guess he was blown away by my speech. He was like, dude, I loved it. I got to get you in Australia. I got to get you on tour with us. And that's how that relationship started. So now March 4th and 5th, I don't know exactly what city. I think it's Brisbane in Australia. I'll be speaking with Luis. New York, Million Dollar in New York, Josh Altman. I think Matt Altman's going to be there too and a couple other people and then me. Awesome, man. Yeah, I was literally just in Brisbane for a podcasting conference. And oh, cool. uh, it's super cool over there, man. You're going to love it. It's going to be fantastic. Now, there's a couple of things that I want to pull out of that. The main one being this. I love when people look at success like that and look at the fact that you're now going to be speaking at this conference in Australia with three or four people that are on million dollar listing in LA and in New York. And then you just spoke with a couple of them back in June. And then they look at that and they're like, oh man, you're so lucky. You know, you got this opportunity. Like it's so, I wish I could be, I wish I could be like Brian, you know, but they didn't see the years of doing Toastmasters. Like how crappy would your speech have been if you weren't working on your public speaking ability for the last couple of years in in Toastmasters and stuff? It would have been very mediocre at best, you know, and now because it's something I'm also hosting a lot of office meetings and trainings. I'm traveling and training for Keller Williams and other companies here locally. I'm speaking for the board of realtors. I just spoke at the Beverly Hills one a couple months ago. So I'm constantly forcing myself to get better at it too. Yeah. And absolutely night and day difference. If I wasn't doing I feel like I could get in front of a million people right now and deliver a rock star speech. You yeah. know? Gosh, it's so important to continually be focusing on certain skills that you need to be working on, like sitting down and writing out. That's why having clarity is so important because if you're sitting down and writing out like what you want your life to look like in five or 10 years, you know, you just have to reverse engineer what it's going to take to get to that point. So when you sat down a few years ago and you're like, Hey, I want to be on stage with Josh and Matt and some of these other people, you were like, okay, how do I do that? Well, first of all, I have to get really good at real estate. So you started just digesting knowledge, like looking for mentors going to events, conferences, and then you were like, okay, now I really got to work on speaking because I can know a lot about real estate, but if I don't know how to communicate it, then it's not going to matter anyway. So then you go join Toastmasters and start working your public speaking ability. You get up, you do speech after speech after speech after speech. So now you finally get this opportunity because you've taken the last couple years to work on your speaking, to work on your knowledge, to work on your skill set. You finally get an opportunity to present it and then you crush it because of the last couple of years of intense work and dedication you put into it. And that leads to this awesome speaking opportunity in Australia that you're going to be able to go to. And I love to point that kind of stuff out because so many people will look at the end result and be like, well, that's just, you know, I can never make that happen. But they don't see that, look, it wasn't overnight success. It's a four year overnight success story. It started way back in the day. Why create something if you don't know there's going to be an audience for it? So wouldn't it be better 
to book something first, sell it. And then now you have nothing like a deadline to motivate you. Pressure creates diamonds. And believe it or not, pressure can create the most powerful work. And so legit, what I did was I started calling schools at the time because I was speaking at high schools and, and colleges. So I just called the school and I would just call the call and just happened to find somebody who took a stab on me. And she paid me a hundred bucks for my first gig on March 17th, 2011, which is St. Patrick's Day. And I literally had like four to five days to prepare for my speech, which is fucking crazy, right? Because I'm like, how the hell am I going to prepare a speech that I'm not even ready for? But I had four days to prepare and I did it. And I'll tell you what, my first presentation sucked. It bombed. It was so bad. I look back at it now and I have videos of me when I teach my clients how to create their demo videos and stuff like that. I show them an example of what I started with and I cringe every time, but I'm trying to illustrate a simple point. You don't need to be perfect to make a difference and make an impact. You just need to get started. So I just got started. I got out there. That video that I got, that one speech, got me my second gig for 600. Then got me my third gig for 2000. And then throughout the, my entirety of my career in the education market, which is like high schools and colleges, which is a tough market to break into, I got it paid anywhere between 2500 to later on in my career from $5,000, $10,000 for one hour of my time. But I started where I was. And so there's a point. Every master was once a disaster. Every expert was once a beginner. So if you don't compare your chapter one to somebody else's chapter 20, and you could just get started, keep focusing on your lane. Start where you are at. Don't look at that person who you admire because that's where imposter syndrome comes in. It comes from a, a state of comparison. But I can't be like that person when in reality, if you come from a place of service, not comparison, contribution, not comparing yourself to that person, then you're here to serve the person who's just a few steps behind you. They're not holding you to that, whole, to that standard that you're holding yourself. You're just supporting them. And that's all they need. They just, they could relate to someone who's more like you than that person who's a multi-billionaire who's spoken on here, who has all these degrees and blah, blah, blah. They don't care that because that person is alienating them, but you can relate to them. You're not seeing the root system. When I met you, Yaya, like I didn't see you going and starting at a school. Like I saw you crushing it on stage in front of 12, 1300 people, how many people were there? Like, and like controlling an audience and like being masterful at your craft. So like when you meet somebody that, that's all you know about them. Like you didn't see all the times where like you fell flat on your face and just totally failed, wiped out. You weren't there for that whole part of the process. So you have this disconnect, right? Like you, so like me sitting there looking at somebody like you, if I'm sitting in the crowd, I'm just like, oh man, there's no way I could ever speak like Yaya can speak. Well, it's just because like, I didn't know you when you weren't that version of you. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a 
a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need hire, you need Indeed. All you've done is become a better version of who you were. But the only way to become a better version of who you were is to just get started doing it. And that's the tough part to wrap your mind around sometimes. And that's, and I feel like that's what makes you world-class in what you do. Because I believe like people who are world-class, even though in the dictionary, it says, you know, being amongst the best. For me, my definition of being world-class is being so committed to your craft that eventually you become among the best because you're just so committed to the process. You, you understand that maybe practice doesn't make perfect, but practice can lead to progress. And there's always going to be a more progressive version of you as long as you're committed to your craft. Like, I'll tell you what, what, when you saw me at Thrive, I legit, when I was speaking to Cole, who's the founder of it, I had 60 minutes to present. I was hosting, but I also, my expertise isn't hosting. My expertise is speaking. And so I had 60 minutes prepared. And then 30 minutes right before I was about to get up, I noticed that we were way ahead. And so because I'm committed to, and there's a lesson here, because I'm committed to making sure that the organizer, the, the event coordinator, the meeting planner, I wanted to make sure that it's, it's an amazing and less stressful experience for him. So I was like, dude, like, what do you need? How can I best support you? He's like, man, I'm just frustrated because like, you know, the speakers were super late and you know, we're, we're a little bit behind and it's crazy because I didn't want to be that far back. I was like, bro, I'm, I'm supporting you. I'll cut down my entire speech in half. So in the last 30, like 30 minutes right before I was going to get a get up on stage. And so because I'm more committed to contribute and making sure that his experience is a phenomenal one and the audience experience a phenomenal one, I said, this is what I'm going to do. Now, being world-class, I was disappointed in my, my ability to deliver from a speaking standpoint because it wasn't the yaya that I've put 10 years behind the scenes to create. I had this idea, which, which is another reason why anybody who tries to aim for perfection, I tell them stop immediately. Because even 10 years into my game as a speaker, being on stage, like you're going to have moments that are un, like you can't control. Like somebody might come up and say, oh, sorry, we have to shift it up. You only got five minutes and you prepare for this. I have to be on my feet. And my best game is not going to be my best game in that moment because of the things that I can't control. So again, going back to my craft, being committed to it, that's what will eventually make me world-class and make you world-class in what you do. So I think if, if more people fall in love with the idea of working on their craft, practicing, taking imperfect action, giving themselves to be imperfect in public, permission to be imperfect in public, then they'll, they'll get going, they'll get started and they'll make a difference a lot sooner than anybody else. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. That's the whole thing right there too, bro. It's like, it, look, it's better done than perfect. And like what Reed Hoffman from LinkedIn always says, if you're not embarrassed by the first version of your product, he's of course talking about like software or whatever. If you're not embarrassed by the first version, then you've launched too late is what Reed Hoffman says. And it applies to, and, and I deal with a lot of this with, uh, with people that I take on as podcast clients. Like they just want 
want everything perfect. You like, they want each little part of it to be totally perfect before they launch. And it's just like, no offense, bro, but you know, when you launch, you're going to probably have like 17 downloads. Let's just get it out there and then let's start working on it from there. Like you're only going to get better. But if you don't do it, you're never going to get better. Like the only for sure way to guarantee that you're still going to suck in three years from now is to stay not doing it. That's the only for sure way. You know, Travis, I've spoken to so many people who come up to me and maybe they're not exactly where they want to be financially, mentally, physically, spiritually, whatever. And then they always say this like, man, I've gotten to meet a lot of these successful people. And they're not, they're no smarter than I am, right? Like, this is what they would say. They're like, they don't have anything that I don't have. Like, how are they so successful? And I was like, because they weren't trying to be smart. They weren't in their heads trying to find the right answer. They didn't have the right answer. They had more balls than brain. And if you're a lady listening to this, they had more ovaries than brain. Meaning they had guts to just take imperfect action, get started because they didn't get in their own way. That's good news. Meaning as sad as it sounds, you don't need to be that smart to be successful. You need to be courageous to be successful. Just put yourself out there. And the people who get rewarded the most are the people who are okay with failing faster. That's it. It's, it's, it's just so freaking simple. It's so simple. And that's a principle that you can apply in any industry that you get into, in any niche that you get involved in, in anything that you do in a relation, whatever it is, you take that mentality. I call it the world-class mindset. You take that in there. Anything is at your fingertips. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. As most of you know, I talk a lot about giving value to others. This podcast is one of the ways that I do that since all the content from the show is totally 100% for free. And when people ask me how they can add value to me, one of the ways I tell them is to head over to iTunes, hit the subscribe button and leave a rating and review. This not only gives me valuable feedback on what you think about the show, but it also helps me with Apple's algorithm. So please, 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 if you have not done that yet, head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review for the show. It adds tremendous value and it only takes a minute or two of your time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. one came out of like people asking you about this um so and we kind of joked at the beginning that you're currently in the hustle trying to sell the book that's uh, like against hustle deepest diary yeah (laughs) but uh uh, to hell with the hustle is definitely something that i can get on board with Uh, i know that there's a lot of people especially in my space in the entrepreneurial um, type space there's a lot of people preaching hustle all the time i don't necessarily like have a problem with working hard because that's obviously part of the process um but I think that having a self-awareness about what life really is about mm-hmm. is, uh, is super important. So um, can you kind of talk to me about like the origin of this book and, yeah. you know, let's give me just one or two key principles that you hope people will take away from it. Totally. Well, I mean, I think it, it, basically it started from the, the, not only me feeling it in my own life, but then like what you're saying, there's a, there's like a trend out there that's starting to just get kind of annoying. You know what totally. I mean? Like it's not like, and you nailed it. Like working hard is amazing. Yeah. Working hard is necessary. Uh, we need to work am, am, with ambition. We need to work, uh, you know, loving other people and doing it well and with ethics and all that stuff and integrity. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's this like extra layer that's like, I, I kind of, uh, hu- uh, hustle's a good kind of uh, catch-all, but also another one that I think it was like the life hack culture. Mm-hmm. You know, you just like, we're so obsessed with like life hacking our life, right? Mm-hmm. Just like, 
like the shortcut and do this and you'll do this and make sure you have the MCT oil and the bulletproof coffee and that. And, and I take that by the way and it gives me brain energy. I love it. Yeah. But like at what point is enough enough? Meaning like how many, like my, my question we have to ask is have we ever come back around to look at the data? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, like okay, we, we have every little life hack that we've almost had in human, like, <laughs> like someone from 1500 would just be like blown away at how many little things we can do to our life. Right. And so I just kind of say like are we, have we reached, like, should we, we should have reached perfection by now, basically. Yeah. If there's so many life hacks, we should have kind of reached the logical conclusion, but we haven't, which kind of shows you it's a little false bill of goods, you mm-hmm. know, that at some level we're chasing something that can't be grabbed, can't be achieved. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is it there? And so there's that. And then, yeah, the book really gets at the spirit of, like, um, man, I think it was Derek Thompson who in The Atlantic, he has just a brilliant, brilliant article called The Religious, Religion of Workism. And he's, you know, like he's a non-religious person. He's just kind of using this language of like we've almost made work a religion, yeah. right? And he, and he really gets into some crazy stats and data in there of like how this is not how it's ever been um, and what it's doing to us. And he has this cool phrase in there where he goes, you know, for all of human history, work was always about making things. But for the last 40 or so years, work is now about making us. And what he says is we are in a very unique culture where we now, we're the only culture in all of human history where work is now no longer about material production, but it's about identity production. Yeah. It's about literally, we don't even care about our job as much. We care about what the job does for us, like in our soul, yeah. who it's making us, who it's forming us into be, because we have some idealized version that we're trying to push towards. And, and who that, we who we who we like want to be perceived as yes. by other people. Yes. And it's, so then that that is and that's identity. It's yeah. it's who am I? Yeah. We're trying to answer the question who am I through work and I just think that's a very 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 bad thing to do. But it's dangerous. It right? is really dangerous and too much pressure, right? Mm-hmm. Like you know, work is when it's about making things, that's great. Make things. Honor those things. Honor that job. Be the best you can at that job. But when it's about making us, then that becomes corrosive and toxic on your soul. Yeah, you know, uh, Simon Sinek recently wrote a book Love him, by called the, way. the Infinite Game. Yeah. He talks about that how how we're playing this we're playing this game of life like it's a like it's a finite game like yes. uh, like our, our career is a finite thing yeah. and it's not it's not a finite game there, there is no winner or loser clear yeah. rules that are yeah. done and, and that's the same thing that you were just talking about yeah. is that we're we're trying to we're trying to get other people to perceive us to be a certain way mm-hmm. based on what we think is going to elevate our status in yes. their eyes when there's no like specified rules for what matters yes. right because some people might be like oh your salary matters other yes. people might be like oh your job title matters mm-hmm. oh your impact matters so we're like we're trying to build this life that impresses all these other people without even having a tool yeah. to measure, measure the actual yeah. success. Totally. Like we, we don't know what that means. We're just like totally. all competing in this thing. We've all picked out our own values that we perceive to be important. Yes. And then that's what we try to portray to other people. So if you view that like making money is important, yes. then you're going to cast that on me. And because yeah. I don't make as much money as you do, the then you're just going to be like, well, you're down here. I'm up here. Yes. Right? But I might look at you and be like, well, I just, I do more charity work. And, yeah, and exactly. that's what matters to me. You totally. know, and, and you're all you care about is money. So mm-hmm. I'm going to elevate my status above you because I'm a better person than you are. Right? Totally. So we all have like these fake things yeah, that we measure life by that yeah. really nobody's ever agreed on. <laughs> totally, <laughs> you know? totally. And I and I love Simon Sinek, by the way. He's one of my favorite. I love him as a thought leader, some of the stuff he's saying. It was actually a geek out moment. He's in his new books in Target, and they put me right next to his in Target. Uh, nice. And I'm just like, yes, I get to be <laughs> next to him. I'm like, buy his. Associate, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and hopefully buy mine. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I totally agree, man. And I think and, and, and Jesus even kind of gets at this a little bit. You know, 2,000 years ago, you have this gospel text of, uh, of, of different pressure groups. You have different religious groups. You have different secular people coming at him with different needs and pressures. Exactly what you said. Like, everyone has different metrics. Mm-hmm. And they're all putting this on Jesus, right, which is fascinating when you open up the gospels. And then clearly, there's even a couple stories where that pressure starts to collide. 
And then Jesus says, no, no, there is a metric. There is one. It's not all the ones you're saying. It's not all of this. It's not all that. And then he basically says, he says, you can sum up the entire law in this. And it's that you will love God and love neighbor. And I'm like, man, that is a good metric, right? Mm -hmm. To love, to love God, the person in whose image you are made in, but then also to love each other. Because when you're loving each other, then you're not getting into those false sense of metrics. Like you said, where I make this, you don't, I do this, you don't. Um, and I think that's just fascinating that in its own way, 2,000 years ago, that was the same problem, totally. just in a re- really recapitulated way. And I love how he answers this. No, no, it cannot, it, there is rules, there is things, but it can be summed up in one center, and that's love other people, right? And then yeah. love God and, as, uh, and love your neighbor as yourself. So I think that's huge. Yes. What, what are a couple other things that you talked about in the book? So the book, yeah. So first couple chapters, I would almost call the diagnosis, the problem. Uh, you know, there's already been some people mes- messaging me and uh, laughing that like it's rated, you know. Uh, I don't know how to say it. Like, it's like, you know, it's kind of, it's when you go to the dentist, it's painful to get the cavity part. And they're always like, oh, that's a little too painful in the first chapters, but hopefully it's the solutions the second half. Right. And because um, we have to, you have to truly know the problem, by the way, to know how to solve it. So I think that's oh. why I'm really uh, trying to put some teeth on those first couple chapters. And I go all the way into like industrial revolution. I go back to the invention of the light bulb. I go back to our invention of time. And all of these things actually are significantly putting us in our moment right now that we don't realize because we're 200 years past it. And when you wake up and you're, you know, and you're an adult, you're like, oh, this just is what it is. But it hasn't always been that way. What are the ramifications of that? So the devil into that. But then the whole rest of the book is kind of a solution. Every single chapter, I think the last five or six, is what I try to argue for uh, five or six practices, I call them, that if you can institute those, they're, they're really, really good acts of resistance against the problem. You know what I mean? Okay. So like uh, things like silence, things like honoring a true Sabbath, like a true day of rest, like turn off your phone, stop working, um, uh, you know, which culturally, religiously or not, America used to do. 50 years ago, you try to go find something open on Sunday, good luck, mm, right? Yeah. Whether you're a Christian or not, that's just that we, we understood that you need to shut down. Right. Um, and so, yeah, rest, Sabbath. I even tell you, there's a whole chapter on obscurity on there, like if you, especially with people with platforms, you know, like us and stuff like that. We need to be making a concerted effort to like hide sometimes. Mm. And that's a weird way to put it, but we do. Like we do not need to be out in front. We do not always need to be seen. We do not always need to be known because that does something to our soul where you become this cropped, edited version of yourself that's not actually a true, robust human image bearer that you are. Yeah, totally. I've been in that position before where like you're almost selecting mm-hmm. daily activities based on like what's going to look best on your Instagram. Totally. Or whatever. Yes. You know, like, what, what do my followers want to like, Yes. How about and that, what do I want to do today? Exactly. <laughs> and I think that's a really good point because there's a tension there too because I think it's totally fine and fair to share our days, to say where we went to for fun and all yeah, that stuff. Totally. But here, that is the, the corrosive one is when you start actually crafting your days backwards, mm. meaning, I, meaning what do I want to share then I'm going to go do that. That's different than I went and did something and I'm going to share it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and I think there's actually levels of both of those where sometimes just turn your phone off, phone off anyways, don't share. But the other one you said is even worse of like, yeah, we, <laughs> but we don't realize we do it because the more you do it, you start to do it more, right? right. You start yeah, to literally craft activities based on how Instagrammable they are and that's just a weird place to get at. Yeah, just this self-perpetuating yeah. mm-hmm. cycle that yeah, just drains your soul too. Totally. You, know, you don't, like you said, you don't realize it until yes. like a few months later you wake up and yeah. you realize you're not doing anything. Well, my, well and here's what it does. It dehumanizes and also completely devalues the entire experience in a way where it becomes more commodified. So we live in Maui, <clears throat> Hawaii, and I see this all the time and I crack up, but it's also really sad. Where like literally it's kind of that classic, you know, Instagram husband, Instagram wife thing where like we'll be walking. I see it almost every single day and then people just want that classic Maui picture, oh, yeah. right? Just like they're on the beach and, and literally I've seen so many times where like this girl's in her bathing suit or whatever and you can tell they just got to the beach, she gives the phone to the husband, she goes and walks to the edge of the beach and kind of does a pose or a strike yeah. or whatever, takes the picture and then they leave. And then they bounce, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
I'm literally like, and I'm, I'm not even, I'm not even, I've probably seen that over a hundred times. Yeah. Where the end, so, and then now think about all the way through. Okay, so then, you know, you're her friend and you get on Instagram a couple days later and you see this picture. It looks like they had an amazing time on the beach in Maui. Right. No, they didn't. Right. They, did, they literally didn't even spend five seconds on the beach. Yeah. They didn't swim. They didn't talk. They didn't hang out. Yeah. They, it was literally a manufactured moment. And it's just so weird, right? Like to like see the picture, but then also see how that picture was got, you know? Right. And so, yeah, but we do that more than we think. Yeah, what do you think that does for uh, culture in terms of like, I, 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 we, we just had our first uh, kid. Uh, yeah. He's about six months old now. Congrats. Yeah, thank What's you. What's his name? That. Cameron. Cameron, cool. Yeah, so a lot of this stuff is now in my mind. 100%. And it was not before. Yes. Um, so what, what do you think that does for culture in terms of kids' self-esteem? Like mm. Not necessarily, like I'm, like, I'm a grown adult, totally. right? So we can handle when Instagram more. came out, yeah. I was, I think, a freshman in college. Totally. You know, so like by the time it was there, it, my feelings weren't as yeah. attached it's to it. It's going to be native and, to them, natural to them. Yeah, and as a kid, like you, if you grow up with that and oh, yeah. you're seeing that kind of stuff, you know, well, they, they're here. You're, you're, you're seeing everybody's highlight reel yes. and not seeing any of their failures. And you're comparing your failures to totally. their like, mountaintops. Totally. What does that do? Oh, there's so many different ways I, I like to answer that one. I think one, what I would say is, yeah, what it first does, is it just commodifies all of our experiences that shouldn't be, like human experiences can't be measured or distilled in a laboratory, but we're kind of doing a pseudo version of that when we do this. It's like we want to pe- transa- make it transactional, make it commodified. So that's the first thing I would say. Second thing is, yeah, oh, I'm going to get this stat wrong because I just read it, but it was something to the effect of like, I just read it the other day, where it's like <laughs> your anxiety and your depression like dissipates by like 50% if you, like in people that they measured turning their phone off for a week or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, mm, they basically just yeah. said, get away from your phone and see if that actually changes your mental health. And lo and behold, it changes your mental health, right? Mm. It's literally, and mental health is serious and is internal. And there's ones that's way more chronic and way more serious. So it sometimes can't be solved by turning off your phone. But there's a lot yeah, on like this low grade level that I think 100% can. No, well, I, 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 it has to be, right? Yes. I mean, the U.S. is the most culturally advanced country, arguably, in totally. the world, right? But we're also the leader in mental health yes, illnesses. Yes, exactly. Like, we are the leader in anxiety, depression, exactly. suicide, all exactly. those things. It's because we as humans, like, look for problems. Totally. We have to have problems. Totally. So when our problem is no longer where am I going to get my next meal, Yes. then we start manufacturing all these other problems 100%. Like, I posted this picture, yes. and I only got 12 likes, and last yeah. week we I almost, got 35. Yeah, we almost, like, have, it's exactly right. We have too much time on our hands to now make problems out of things that are kind of, like, such ridiculous problems, right. Right? Instead of driving, we're in the back of an Uber. Yes, right? like, exactly. Instead of driving to get something to eat, exactly. we get it delivered. Exactly. Right. Yeah, one thing yeah. I would say that is, and but then back to your point about uh, your son, but then also just coming up in the next generation of social media and like lo- comparing failures to your best, there's a couple analogies that help me, or one that specifically, and I think one thing is we need to do is like, we need to not get upset at the people that do share the highlight reel, because mm-hmm. that's like a normal part of life, right? Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we go one way or the other. We just get like, oh, you're only sharing your highlights, because there's a weird kickback in culture that's the opposite right now. So we were like, oh, you only share your highlights, you only share the good stuff. And it's like, well, I'm not going to show myself like barfing at the, in the toilet. But there's a weird culture right now that's trying to push that back. That's totally right. like, and it's totally the be vulnerable, be transparent, you know, like just right. say everything that's wrong with your marriage and your life. It's like, no, don't take that to the internet. That doesn't belong there. Yeah. Right. And so I think that's just as wrong. And I, mm-hmm. so I think there's these two sides right now of like, when you craft and manufacture it, that's wrong. When you're, um, 
But then when you're also saying like, you know, be vulnerable, be vulnerable, be vulnerable online, I think that's wrong too, right? Because there's a, that, that's, that's not that space. And another way to think about it is, I think it's really helpful to think of social media like a family photo book, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Okay, so if you go into someone's family, uh, someone's living room, they usually have a family photo book. Now, if you pick up that family photo book, it's probably just highlights, right? right? And there's nothing wrong with that, mm-hmm. right? There's nothing wrong with having a book that represents your family's highlights. There's no one, you know, grandma drunk or someone throwing up, like it's not in there. Right. Um, why? Because there's something about narratives, too, that I think we're narrative creatures. We like to remember certain narratives, and it's okay to have the highlights. Where, that, where the family photo book gets problematic, or where we would make it problematic, is what if actually, because back to that first of all, you go in the house, you look at the family photo book, you learn the family, that's so cool, you look at it maybe in six months. Where the photo book would be really problematic is if you live in a home where you wake up and you pick up the photo book and you just read it every single day, and then five minutes later, you go back to it. And then you, you bite something and f- go back to it. You eat something, you go back to it. You drink some coffee, you go back to it. Then you would start saying, like, oh, yeah, that person is probably getting a really, really, really seriously distorted view of what they think that family's narrative is. Mm -hmm. But is the problem the family's narrative? No. The problem is they shouldn't be looking at a photo book seven hours a day. Right. Right? So then it's kind of on the consumer side right there. It turns into this internal game of then, like, Man, today sucks. Yes. Right? Remember this day? Yeah, you're like, we that were, was Disneyland. We were in, yeah, in, exactly. in Maui. Yes. And we, we were on the beach 100%. and we took that picture. You yeah. Know? But and if, now I'm just sitting in my living room. Yes. Yeah. So, so I think that, because I don't, that's a, I think it's a really helpful analogy because we do these weird one or the others. Well, that one kind of answers both, right? Of like, it's okay to share the highlights, but be honest. You're not manufacturing pictures. You're not just going to Disneyland for the picture. Right. You went to Disneyland and you took a picture. So that's fair. But then on the second one, it's like, yeah, we have to also really reckon with like, it's usually, not always, usually sometimes the, the person who's holding the phone, it's, it's, it's there. What it is, it's like we've been looking at the photo book too much. Yeah. So put it down and go do real life. Right. So what's your recommendation for like families with kids and things that mm. where the kids maybe just are always on their phone, or maybe maybe the maybe the parents just didn't even realize. That. I, I I feel the worst for parents that like this happened too. Yes. Right? Like after my generation, maybe another seven or eight years, like the kids that were... Or it's right in the middle still. Seven or yeah, eight we haven't thought about it a ton yet. Like, they got yeah, the devices. Exactly. Like yeah. those parents just More got like the like guinea pig experiment. <laughs> yeah. No, so, it's so what do you recommend yeah. now for somebody that's like, okay, now that we got my bearings here, totally. what do I do with my family to make sure that my kids aren't like putting their entire self-worth totally. into this little device? Yeah, I think one thing that I talk about, I don't know if I talk about in the book, but it certainly relates to the book, but we have in our own family, as we call it, my last name is Beth Key, so we call it the Beth Key Tech Manifesto. And it's kind of this fun little play, but like we be, we believe that as a family, we need to have like a manifesto, like that kind of spirit of like how we are going to engage with devices, hmm. technology, and this current iteration and world we're in with social media. And if we don't, we lose. You know what I mean? And what I mean by that is, like, I don't think we've ever reckoned with the fact that this is the most concentrated power has ever been in all of human history, right? There's probably 100, maybe only 50 men, probably, maybe a few women in Silicon Valley that have the power and are 100% shaping all of what we believe in our culture for about 2 or 3 billion people in regards to technology, devices, and social media. That's a scary amount of disproportional power. Mm-hmm. Like maybe you could argue tobacco's been in that realm. Maybe you could argue fossil fuels and oil's been in that realm, but I don't think it's still that disproportionate. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's because it's combining tech and media. 100%. Like the other big tech company. Totally. Or the other big, you know, giant conglomerates totally. didn't also have the power to distribute content. Exactly. That's they a good way to put it. Yes. Elsewhere. And so that concentration of power on its face is already terrifying. Uh, Two, those people have an agenda. And I don't mean like crazy evil, like their businesses, they need to return money to their shareholders. It's very simple, right? And because of that, they're going to make a lot of decisions 
that allow, that make us behave, like we're the product, we're not the consumer, right? Humans in this world are the product in the social media realm. If you're not paying for something, you're the product, right? Not the thing you're using. Mm-hmm. Uh, your eyes are being sold, your data is being sold, your brain's being sold, your behavior's being sold. So I think that's really important because then what you realize is like, okay, they're not wrong for that. They are a business. They need to return profit to their shoulders. Hopefully they do it ethically. Sometimes they don't. Um, but they have an agenda, and they are going to 100% shape everything to fit that agenda. They're going to make things certain colors so we behave in a certain way. Mm-hmm. They're going to make them refresh in a certain way. They're going to make them look a certain way. They're going to make them cost a certain way. They're going to make you behave a certain Like everything, right? They spend billions of dollars to get us to behave a certain way. Right. So the whole point of me is like, okay, if you, don't have, if you don't have a competing force on that, you automatically lose. Mm-hmm. Like you lose, right? You, you will be their agenda. You will do what they want how they want, when they want it, uh, in almost a robotic drone-like state. Because yeah, you're, if you're not purposeful and intentional resisting, about not totally, being that way, totally. you're just going to end up being that Yes, way. and there's some parts of it where it's fine. Like, okay, let that fall through the cracks. That's fine. You know, they want me to do that, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. But are you being intentional with it? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so then we have a family manifesto that's just like, this is what we believe about technology. And it's always, it's malleable. We're always changing it based on us and our kids' ages. And But yeah, it's got rules in there like, you know, we don't bring phones in the bedroom. Uh, you know, I can't look at the phone for the first hour of the day. We, <clears throat> we only have one TV in the house and it has to hide when I'm in. So I literally built a cabinet system where like it's on an elevator and just goes and goes down. And so now when you walk in our home, you can't see any television. You don't even think people don't even think we have a television. And it's those little things like that, that, okay, we're not centering the TV, which means we turn it on less. Psychology supports that 100%. How you shape your space will also shape how you behave and how you act. Um, And so all of that type of stuff really, really matters. Yeah, that's crazy, man. There's just so many pieces of the puzzle. Totally. I have to be aware of at least, mm-hmm. you know, especially as a parent. Yeah. Like, as a responsible parent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but uh, moving into like the business side of this, yeah. um, talk to me about content creation in general. Mm-hmm. So just to kind of shift gears, talk to me about, you know, you've done YouTube, you've done yeah. podcasting, you've written several books at this point, you do public speaking. If somebody's out there right now, and, and we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to, yeah. this, to this show, if somebody's out there right now and they're like, okay, I have this message and I have this brand and I have this business and I want to amplify that. And I know that's creating some form of content totally. is probably the way to do that. Yeah. How would you recommend they get started? How would, I get, how would you get started? I would say, you know, totally that 10,000 hour rule of like, just get started. Like okay. you will, you are meant to, it usually takes about a decade to hone a craft of some sort. And even me having a viral video earlier, I'm now about almost at that 10 year realm and I can feel just finally a decent level of like proficiency. It's funny. I've just noticed last year or two, like I still need to grow a ton. still yeah. need to work. But like, but like, I feel like I kind of fell in the pocket of like, yeah. okay, I got this. I know what I'm doing. I've done this before this, you know, think through this. I've gotten a little bit better. And it's just funny. It is like a eight to 10 year thing where that it takes that long. It's crazy. How many people I talk to now that, that say that, um, say that kind of stuff. My buddy Jordan Harbinger has a, a mm. podcast and gets like 6 million downloads a month. And I was yeah. talking to him the other day and I was just like asking him a few questions. Yeah. Just kind of just, I'm a podcaster, younger yes. podcaster trying to like, you know, what, what can I expect? Totally. Here? And he said something, a, ver- a, a yep. version of the same thing that like, he feels like the last two or three years has really been where his explosion of growth has yes. been in not only his numbers, but in his skill set, yes. his network and the people he brings on his show yep. and stuff. And we don't like that story though. Right. It takes that's a while, not the sexy eight story. To, yeah. yeah hey, totally. hey, take it to eight to 10 years and kind of like yeah. do something that no one really notices and then maybe it'll pop. No one loves that. Right. Yeah, but exactly. there's a lot of truth to that. And, but you know, what's ridiculous though, is that we look at eight to 10 years we go, man, that's forever. Yes. But then like the alternative is what? 
yeah, go just, work 40 years for somebody else yes, and retire? Or, and like or try security? to be entrepreneurial, but just bounce around every year or two because right. it's you, you want it to pop faster. Right. The other story yes. is way worse, like yes. markedly worse yeah, than, totally. than like just focusing totally. in and, and working on your craft for 18 yep. years. But it just so, I guess it just sounds so difficult or something totally. that it just makes people not want to do it. Well, here's, and, here's what I would say. Yeah, it, I agree. But also I think we need to get back to respecting the process. Do you know what I mean? Like the process is, is what matters. That like the process itself of, of going forward of, of, of like, it's not about the end result. It's about what it's, what it's doing to us, the Mm -hmm. process itself. So I think that's really important. So in terms of platform, if somebody's just starting out, which platform would you say like, hey, you should go all in on this platform first and then start redistributing content to other Good platforms. question. I think pay attention to what you're good at, first of all, because I think it's different for each person. Like I'm, some people are not as good on video, right? So then try to make me, you know, parlay into audio. Someone, some people are not good at with their voice at all. Parlay into writing, you know, mm-hmm. blogs. And of course you should be distributing all across the board, but know which one you feel like is your breadwinner. Yeah. And then talking platform specific. Um, I think like go where the eyeballs are. I think, you know, like I'm a huge fan of TikTok right now um, because I think that's totally here. Here's my favorite phrase. When anyone says, oh, that's just for teenagers, you should be on that immediately. Mm. Right. Not yeah. for creepy, weird reasons. <laughs> um, but like that, that is the phrase that totally dead give is a dead giveaway that this is the next big thing. Yeah. It happened with uh, YouTube. Then it happened with Instagram. Then it happened with Snapchat. And now it's happening with TikTok. Right. And that's exactly what people are saying. Oh, isn't that just a kid's app where they do fun, dumb stuff? Yeah. Yes. And you should be there. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I love it. And that's where like a lot of the creativity and content and stuff like that. So be on all the platforms. But just the eyeballs, the attention, all, when you hear that phrase, it's so cheap on those places, right? Yeah, you can break through thing. the noise so much more when, you, right. when you're in those spaces. Like literally, I know I have multiple friends, some with like zero platform, like that. they don't even care about the internet, and it's a couple hashtags all of a sudden got them 100,000 views on TikTok. That's yeah. on, you can't do that on Instagram. You can't yeah. do that on YouTube, right? Because it's so uh, booming, mm-hmm. and the saturation hasn't happened yet that it's just like kind of getting up there, getting early. Yeah, that's insane. So... Um, in terms of what's driven the most in your business, mm. what what Good would question. you say has been like the biggest driver? Like, is it a, yeah. is it a book? Probably, is it... yeah. I'd say probably books or YouTube. Yeah, that's probably what I would say compared to either social media in general, Instagram, Facebook, podcast, stuff like that. You have to know your own circle. You have to know your own funnel, okay. right? And so that's what I'm kind of back to that strength weakness thing. For me, I started on YouTube and I noticed. Uh, you kind of have to name and claim each platform, right? So for me, I almost consider YouTube my billboard. And that's mm-hmm. a weird way to put it. But YouTube, YouTube is, in my opinion, for my stuff, because I make a lot of stuff, podcasts, books, et cetera. YouTube is the, the billboard, the first thing they might go, the oh, who's, who's that? What's going on there? Who's that guy, right, on the side of the freeway? Um, usually that's YouTube for me. And it's not always YouTube for everyone. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's social media. Um, you know, the other ones, sometimes it's book writing. But I think you have to know what that is. And YouTube is that for me. And then book writing is just a really, really special way to take people really deep that none of the other platforms I do can. Mm-hmm. So those two combined, I would say, certainly have kind of helped uh, get it all where it is today. Do you find your books are mostly bought from warm audience or do you find that like the book puts you in front of audiences? That's a really good question. I have no data to support that. So that would be a subjective answer. But I, if I had to guess, I would almost say a little bit of both. What you really need for a book to be successful is the core audience to take it strong and almost be like your super fans to go tell people about it. Mm-hmm. But a good book, in my opinion, is one of the most frontline grenade-like things you can do. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I almost see books as like grenades. Like they're big ideas. They take a lot of time, way more than podcasts and YouTube and stuff like that. So take a lot of time on it and then kind of throw that grenade out in culture, right? Yeah. Title it something that hopefully will start the conversation and get it going. And then in that case, it's not warm audience at all, but it's a, like a welcoming audience. You know what I mean? And yeah. so I think that's different. Yeah. 
which of your books has not necessarily been your favorite or whatever, but has like meant the most to you in terms of the content in the book itself? Nothing to do yes. with sales, audience. Totally. Like 100%, 100% this one then, for okay. sure. Uh, and I think there's just some books that take on a personal nature more than the others. I love all my books. I think four now and six or seven self-published ones. But out of the traditional published ones, four of them now, definitely this one. I think there's something about this one that just felt like this message got into my bones and it just got so deep in me that it felt like it just, it was the easiest book to write, but also the hardest. Meaning I feel like it was the densest, deepest, kind of weirdest. Like I just kind of make crazy connections and go all over, but it was the easiest because it really felt like it was in there. And so that feels really personal and really cool that like I had to have this whole journey and transformation first before I could talk about it, but definitely this one. So for somebody listening who's like, man, I've, I've been wanting to write a book for a long time or yeah. I, I really want to write a book right now. Would you, re- what, what would you recommend in terms of traditional publishing versus self-publishing and all that kind of stuff? I do both and I, like, I recommend both. I think sometimes we say, here's the way I think about it. So like To Hell With The Hustle uh, is a very big idea book. Meaning mm-hmm. like I, I spent years on that book. I'm trying to really distill a really strong concept, a really strong idea. So I like to argue if you want to write about a really big idea, I think it should go traditional publish. Okay. If you want to offer people a tool or a resource, then that tends to be self-published. That's how I tend to think about so it. So you got like a TED Talk book. Yeah, like that's yep. Or like I like so like so like half of my self-published books have like a bunch of space to write in. Does it make sense? Like yeah, it's a tool, like they're like a, a workbook. Yes, yeah, so yeah, they're yeah. almost were either workbooky or just like a daily thing, or like they feel very practical, tactical tool. When I think kind of a uh, which hopefully a traditional public book sh- book should too, but uh, a lot more time and a lot more distilling of ideas. I think belongs there. Yeah, got it. So what's next, man? Like, what, what's the big things like that you got working on? Good Where do question. you see yourself five, ten years from now? Ooh, that I mean, it's so that question's so hard. Not because it's hard to dream, but it's hard to be like, man. If I count exactly five years back, there's no shot I would have felt like I was right here, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So I, you know, it's like it's kind of throwing it to the wind. But um, where do I see myself? So one of our main, one of my main full time jobs is I also run an entire initiative called Family Teams, uh, which is basically like a online platform that has courses and books and live events and it's just like its own little brand to kind of just equip families for health and flourishing and sustainability and it's almost to hell with the hustle like burning out and overwhelmed but for families instead of individuals um, and giving people resources for that and that's really where there's a lot that's just resonating like crazy that's growing like crazy more than a lot of stuff I've ever done so I think I'll see myself just keeping doubling down there Um, I really enjoy it the most um, and again, it's just part of what I do. It's not only, but uh, spending a lot more time there, growing that, seeing that get more successful, hopefully. Um, and yeah, continuing to write. Um, and then from a life perspective, yeah, just hopefully in a really fun stage then in five or 10 years with the kids, more kids, I'm hoping by then. Uh, married, still in Maui, hopefully. That'd be awesome. <laughs> awesome. So this is the Build Your Network podcast. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about networking, relationships, yes. connections. Um, and this is something that it's, it's funny now when I have conversations with people, I always notice it sprinkled throughout the whole conversation. Yeah. Um, so even at the very beginning when we first started, yeah. I was going to bring it up then, but I wanted yeah. to wait till the end. Um, and you said, you said something about how, uh, the, the biggest thing that helped you with the business side totally. of your, asking people. your yeah, yeah. it was just like, this guy gave yes. you this and this totally. other person offered this and this you, totally. know, you got around these other people that were doing yes. really well in these things and you started learning from them and then implementing, right? Yeah. So um, just along those lines, this is the question that I ask everybody um, to get the conversation rolling in this direction. So Jeff, do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important and why? Ooh, I would say I would say who you know because it gives you what you know. Does okay. that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, I 100% believe I am 100% a product of 
Like literally, I, you can't conceptualize yourself without even the people that have impacted you or been around you. Right. And I even include that, by the way, too, to like books and stuff like that. People that have poured themselves out, but you might not never meet, right. but you know, their knowledge. Yeah, like that's, that's a, to, for me to think about all, because I love reading. Try to read somewhere around 100 books a year. I didn't get to it this year. I did it last year. But you start thinking like people you actually know, but then even like people that more are giving you that, you're not knowing them, but it's the same kind of thing of like learning from other people. Mm-hmm. Like you, you can, I can't even conceptualize what I'd be without all that stuff that's just blessed me over and over and over and over and over again. And then, yeah, going more personal to people that I do know really strongly. Yeah, I'm so a product man of just people that have poured into me and helped me and encouraged me. And that's actually, they say that, don't they? Don't they say you're like, you're basically just your five friends? Yeah, you're average some of, of the five people. Yeah, 100% believe that. And then I think that that then that that gives you what you know, which is important. Right. I don't, you know, like I think that's actually step one, step two. Um, and so that's what I would totally. say for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mainly agree with everything that you yeah. just said. That, that, that's the biggest thing for me is that I find that if you spend a lot of time with the who, the what will increase in direct proportion totally. to the who that you bring around you. Totally. Whereas I don't really see the opposite being as true. Exactly. Like if you work so much on your what it's not necessarily going to exponentially increase the who, right? Yes. It, it might increase the who because yes. if you get really good at what you do, you're going to get attention from people, right? Totally. But it doesn't necessarily exponentially increase. Whereas if you go spend time with people who are two, three, four levels above yeah. you in whatever you're trying to accomplish, even if it's something silly like, hey, I just want to work on my golf game this year. Yes. Right? If you go golfing once a week with people who are worse than you, or you go golfing once a week, people who are, who are better yeah, than you. exactly. At the end of the year, which person's going to be better? Yes, like, exactly. The person, the one with the people better. Totally. Because you're just going to learn things by being around them, by totally. hanging out, by being a part of conversations. Totally. Like just being a fly on the wall and being like, oh, that's the level of conversation that these people are having. Totally. Is what enables you to start not only changing your actions, but changing your mindset yeah. to like do what you, know, you, you, what you used to think was impossible. Totally. And one thing I would add to that too is, like serve the people you're around. I think sometimes where that gets a little weird is when people kind of want to enter into these spaces with people that they really look up to and like, but then it's kind of just this take, 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 take mentality. Yeah. yeah. When it's like, no, no, you know, just, I, I don't, you'll, it's counterintuitive to the West. It's counterintuitive to like current culture. But like, I fully believe if you pour yourself out, if you serve other people, it actually like, you'll be fine. 100%. You know, we say that that, you know, in our culture, the lie is that like, if you do that, you'll get taken advantage of, you'll lose some things, you'll, you won't, you know, you need to watch out for yours or kind of whatever, kind of elbow in places. Yeah. I totally believe if you just serve, offer people value, 100%. is kind of the phrase they're using on the internet now. But I think that's just really a phrase for like serving people and loving people well. It just, it takes care of itself. Yeah. One of my favorite books on that is Give and Take by Adam Grant. If yeah. You, if you he's have, amazing. I yeah, love him. If you have not read yeah. it, listen to this right He's like now. one of my favorite people. Books, podcasts, yeah. all his stuff is brilliant. Gotta check that book yeah. out because it is it goes into exactly what we're just talking yes. about. He basically breaks down that there's givers, takers, and matchers. Yes. Givers, obviously, yeah. you know who they people are. Takers, give. same. Matchers are people who give only when they know they're going to get an yes. equal amount of value yeah, back. back. Yeah. So they break down and do a ton of studies. And you know Adam, he's yeah. a you know, fantastic he author, connected the crazy professor. dots with the studies. Yeah, and yeah he's yeah. got stats on stats yep. on stats. And he puts it together basically this whole study yes. that said they followed around givers, takers, and matchers and like put them on the success ladder. Like where yes. do you end up? And the givers are always at the top. The givers are it's at crazy. the top. The givers are also at the bottom. Yes. So what's interesting <laughs> is like figuring out so he goes into that book like yes. okay if you're a giver you you will end up at the top yeah. if you put a couple of these like different caveats into the yes. way that you, you still give. Need to be, you still need to be smart right wise so totally i love and that and changing up and one of the big things that was that was really interesting for me to read uh because i, I think i'm naturally more of a matcher yeah um and after reading that book and then having a show on networking and totally. relationships i've trained myself to become a giver yes. and just give without expectation yes. right 
So one of the things that I had uh, trouble wrapping my mind around was like, okay, well, how do I make sure I'm not one of the givers that ends up at the bottom because people take yes. advantage of me all the time? Yep. And one of the big things was he said, don't feel bad about changing up your reciprocity style mm. with a taker. Yes. So if you like interact with somebody and you realize that they're just like taking, 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 taking yeah. you can't just continue to give to that give, person. Yes. You have to like yes. switch Cut the cycle. to a matcher. Yes. So it's it's funny. I've seen it play out in my life now several times where people have been like, take, 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 and I offer a ton of value and I'm trying to build a relationship. Yeah. There's never any reciprocity yes. and they're just a taker. And then eventually, like the next time they ask me for something, I cut it off and I'm just like, sorry, like, I, you know, I'm too busy or I can't do that right yes. now. And then they just that. kind of go do their own thing. And yeah. it's just like, okay, well, like uh, I, I had to switch it at yes. this point, but I had to be helps, okay with it that. It kind of helps reveal true colors. Totally. And it helps also cut off the cycle that's not helpful. I love yeah, that. 100%. Um, so real quick, we're coming up to the end here. Um, tell me a story, something that we haven't talked about yet, a, a quick story about maybe a time in your life where uh, a relationship with somebody led to a big moment of you know success or mm. clarity or fulfillment, something that you feel like you can directly attribute to a relationship that you had in your life. It kind of goes back to what I alluded to earlier. Of with people bringing surrounding people around, you know, even like, and it, and it gets all the way down to the books. Like, I don't think I would have a book deal. I don't think I'd be doing a lot of this stuff if it wasn't for a couple men and different reasons. But I, specifically now, I'm thinking of the book. Um, there was almost like this fatherly like grandfather. And here's what happened. So, so the, I had a mentor in my life, right? And one of his really good friends, he was in his wedding uh, 40 years ago or whatever, uh, is a really high-powered uh, literary agent. Mm. And so when everything went viral, you know, he basically said, hey, I, like, I just think you should talk to my friend, you know, and he can help you out. And that connection literally led to almost like the entire like, success and business side of just being more than a guy with three videos. Mm. You know? And through that, literally led to my first book deal, which did pretty decent, and then that led to the next one and all that type of stuff. So um, that, it's crazy when you can trace the dots that, what's the word, obvious? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that one relationship. And it wasn't, and back to even our, with the give and taking, I wasn't trying to take anything from him. He was just more like a father figure in my life. Um, and he just, and, and so then when it happened, he didn't just reach out for help. So we were already in relationship. So that shows you too, by the way, be in relationship when you don't need something. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it's like Take we, we, we sometimes wouldn't want to yeah. be in that relationship until we need something. Right. I was like, no, it's just like it was more of a real relationship with no business, no nothing. And then something happened, he goes, oh, and I didn't even know he knew this guy, you know? He's like, oh, I know this guy. Not even know this guy. He's like a really good friend. So yeah. then it led to a meeting that led to everything else. So it's crazy. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. You hit the nail right on the head was saying like it's a real relationship. Yes. So people have a tendency to segment their relationship. Building yes. and they're like networking with business people is in this yes. box over and it's like, here. No, networking is your life. Friendships is over here. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like, no, it's yeah. all the it's same. It's all the same. I love yeah. that. Totally. I love that. Well, look, man, I know we could keep talking forever and ever if I don't cut this off. No, so I'm let's gay. go ahead and move on to the last segment here. Something I like to call the random round. Just a few quick random questions. Oh, quick, I love this style. Let's answers. do it. Let's do it. What profession other than your own do you think that it would be fun to attempt? Oh, I, I, I mean, I would be, if it doesn't matter if you'd be horrid at it, I would love to do like music. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and chat for an hour, who would it be and why? Oh, that was, uh, um, oh man, it's like, what genre do I go with? Um, I'm going, my brain's going all the I mean, someone like Malcolm Gladwell or something like that would be fun. Mm. Yeah. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts? Books, 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 books. Okay, mm -hmm. what's, what's a book that's kind of overarching, entrepreneurial that you would recommend Culture to Culture Code, audience? love that book. It's actually my favorite parenting book, but it's not a parenting book at all. It's an entrepreneurial leadership biz, you know, business book, How Do You Create Culture, um, but it has probably been my favorite parenting book. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Morning routine, wake up at four usually, which, by the way, caveat, I go to bed at eight, because so, I'm not this hustle grinder. I, I get eight hours of sleep. 
Um, I just wake, th- I wake up that early because it's my best content creation. I write the best when I do that. Um, it was one of those things that started at six, then I backed it up to five, backed it up to four because of how much I was loving it. Right. right. Um, and I've been doing that for a couple years now where it's just like I write better, I think better, I read, I don't turn on my phone. I just It's so quiet. It's so amazing before everything else gets going. But you got to go to bed pretty early to do that, and especially with kids. But, yeah, that's really what it is. It's just waking up early, and if it's a book season, I write. So it's more of a, if it's a, if it's a crazy season, it's an output. If it's a chill season, it's an input. Meaning like I'll just kind of read and hang mm-hmm. out and think, and then that's it. And then six o'clock, I'm usually I probably will do that till about seven. Uh, and then me and Alyssa will kind of talk. My wife talk for a few minutes, catch up on the day, and then our kids get going and breakfast at eight. What is your go-to pump-up song? This is not it at all, but it's stuck in my head because I just watched a parody of it. But it's like, what is that? The that girl one where it's like fight song, like this. Oh is my yeah. Fight. So that is actually pretty solid. My buddy right? Trey Kennedy, he's hilarious. He has millions of followers on Instagram. He does like comedy bits, and he just did this hilarious parody called "This Is My Fall Song," and he's pretending to be like a white girl, uh, like the, uh, representing fall pumpkin spice latte and all that stuff. So people <laughs> need to go watch that. But that's, it, but it pumped me up. I was like, that's awesome. What is something putting business aside, yeah. authorship, like all this stuff, like putting all this stuff aside? What's something just in general in life that you're just like not very good at at all? Not very good at. Um, I'm not very good at managing people. That's a, yeah. So I try to stay away from that when I can. I really? Try to, yeah. Try to be very solopreneur. Try to okay. be or be in partnership with people that are really good at yeah. that. So because we do have organizations and things that we got staff and employees and all that. But uh, yeah, want to grow at it, but then also have systems in place right now where it's I need to get better first. You yeah. Know? yeah. So as we wrap everything up here, Jeff, what's one place online where we're going to be able to find you the most? Uh, anywhere and everywhere. You can just search Jefferson Bethke. It's the handle on all the stuff. Uh, JeffandAlyssa.com is our website. And then, yeah, all the books are on anywhere books are sold. Sweet. So Jefferson Bethke, uh, just give it a quick search and you will uh, be busy for hours and hours <laughs> with all the content and stuff yes. that's out there. Um, and then definitely go pick up a copy of his new book, To Hell with the Hustle. Um, I can guarantee you, especially if you're listening to this podcast, that you need to hear <laughs> what he has to say um, in this book. So, uh, Jeff, thanks so much for coming to the show today, my man. I had a fantastic time with you. Dude, thanks, man. That was awesome. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. As most of you know, I talk a lot about giving value to others. This podcast is one of the ways that I do that since all the content from the show is totally 100% for free. And when people ask me how they can add value to me, one of the ways I tell them is to head over to iTunes, hit the subscribe button, and leave a rating and review. You. This not only gives me valuable feedback on what you think about the show, but it also helps me with Apple's algorithm. So please, 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 if you have not done that yet, head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review for the show. It adds tremendous value and it only takes a minute or two of your time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.